Welcome everybody, I'm Richard Krauss coming to you from Isolation Studios in downtown Toronto. Now I've been keeping you up to date of what's been happening just outside my window because that really is my worldview right now. And I have to tell you, it's pretty quiet out there. The people that I see are social distancing, so that's great. The funny thing is, maybe it's not funny, but I have let go of the time. I haven't worn a watch in weeks. Uh, I barely check the time ever. But the only time in the day that I know exactly what time it is, is 7.30 p.m. Because that is here, now that the windows are open, that we can hear people making this joyous noise outside banging pots and pans, yelling, singing, in celebration of the frontline workers that are going in to help get us all through this terrible pandemic that we're experiencing right now. It is a moment or two, it's not long, three, four minutes maybe, of people just expressing themselves in the only way that they know how or the only way that they can now that we're all cooped up inside. It's a beautiful thing. I hope it continues and I hope that once all this is over, and I believe that all this will be over sooner rather than later, I hope, we knock wood, that we continue to show appreciation for the frontline workers that maybe in the past we've just taken for granted. We don't have to yell out the window every day, but at least we should have that in spirit, somehow, tucked away. My contribution here on this podcast, the Isolation Studios podcast, is to suggest some ways of helping you pass the time if you are inside, like so many of us are. Uh, there's lots of minutes of the day, so I thought I would go through uh, all my DVDs, all the reviews I've written, and come up with a number of suggestions. Every day, I put out three suggestions. Uh, first up, this week, is a movie that could be described as a mix of Mummy Dearest and Frankenstein. They grow up so quickly, don't they? One day, they are slimy, bipedal creatures who look like a cross between Yule Brenner and a slug. And the next day, they are flesh-eating, underwater-breathing, alien-looking supermodel types. At least that's the way it is in Splice, a science fiction thriller starring Sarah Pauly and Adrian Brody about a creature who goes from newborn to troubled teen in just a matter of weeks. I asked star Sarah Pauly what attracted her to this story. One of the things that really drew me to the film is when I was reading the script, every time I got to a place where I thought, oh my God, can you imagine if this happened? But thank God it won't because it's a movie and they'll never do that. It happened 10 pages later and I was like, what kind of psychopath will make this film? And so I was just sort of excited to see where it was going to go and how it was going to possibly work. And in the middle of it, I think, is this, like, you know, amazing character that I think so rarely gets written for women, like someone who's this kind of driven and single-focused and ambitious and deeply flawed and deeply complicated and super tough. And, and I'd never played anyone like that at all, so that was kind of exciting, too. In the film, Clive, played by Adrian Brody, and Elsa, played by Sarah Pauly, are biochemists and boyfriend and girlfriend who develop a splicing technology which binds the DNA from multiple animals to create new life and possibly cures for everything from Parkinson's to cancer. It's a medical breakthrough 
possibly the medical breakthrough of the century. The next logical step is to fuse human and animal DNA, but despite their success in the lab, their employers, the evil conglomerate Newstead Pharma, is wary of the publicity such a radical step would incur. Secretly, the pair go rogue, continuing their experience and give, quote, birth to a new life form they dub Dren. That, for those paying attention, is nerd spelled backwards. It's a tailed creature resembling a bald dinosaur. Clive, conflicted by the ethical and moral issues of cloning, wants to kill the creature, but Elsa won't have it. Human cloning is illegal, she says. But this won't be entirely human. Dren develops at a rapid pace, changing from unrecognizable organism to something akin to a humanoid kangaroo. Soon, though, problems arise. The creature becomes daddy's little, well, whatever, leaving Elsa to deal with Dren's difficult puberty. Like the hybrid creature at the center of the action, Splice is a cross of genres, part B-movie sci-fi and part body horror a la David Cronenberg. Liberally mixing the island of Dr. Moreau, Frankenstein, and the brood, Splice examines ideas of life and death, of playing God, of what is human and what is not. There are plenty of moral concepts to chew on, many ruminations to be had on what it is to be human, but only if you look past the B-movie thrills director Vincenzo Natale slathers on with a trowel. Splice goes places that bigger budget science fiction wouldn't dare to tread. This isn't the enviro-friendly sci-fi of James Cameron or the space opera of George Lucas. No, this has more in common with the exploitation films of Roger Corman. There's an icky creature, some scientist's sexy time, and loads of crazy science. Corman might not have been as successful at adding in the love, jealousy, and real human emotions Natalie heaps on his characters, but I think the B-movie king would approve of Splice's overall tone. It doesn't skimp on the blood and guts, but it's funnier than you think it's going to be, wilder than expected. Sarah Pauly's maternal instincts towards Dren are right out of Mummy Dearest, and it takes several unexpected twists and turns. I asked star Sarah Pauly about something she said at the Sundance premiere of the film. She called Splice morally indefensible. This is what she says she meant by that remark. Well, it is kind of. I mean, I, I constantly think of like, you know, what the Christian right would say about this movie. Um, I, I think that it, it pushes boundaries and I think it pushes uh, boundaries that were uncomfortable to push. And I think that the best movies in this genre, that's kind of what they do. And I think that um, generally... I'm not a fan of this kind of genre because I feel like the risks that people like David Cronenberg, you know, took, you know, from the beginning are not often taken. Um, and so I, when I love a movie in this genre, I absolutely love it. And I felt that way when I read this script, I was just so astonished at its, at its courage. Um, and at times that courage is questionable. I mean, I think it goes to places that you don't necessarily want it to go and it makes you really uncomfortable. And and again, I sort of feel like that's what, you know, interesting art does a lot of the time. It doesn't always have to do that, but it's pretty great when it does. Splice is giddy good fun, the rare sci-fi flick that revels in its B-movie roots while also offering up something to think about over a beaker of coffee or whatever else afterward. In Crazy Heart, Bad Blake, played by Jeff Williams, is Willie Nelson if the IRS had their way with him, or Chris Christopherson if he hadn't written Me and Bobby McGee. 
I used to be somebody, he sings at one point, but now I'm somebody else. The someone else is a broke, drunk country music has-been whose idea of a great gig is playing a bowling alley where he isn't even allowed to run a bar tab. In a story that echoes the wrestler, Crazy Heart follows the tail end of the career of a man who once had everything but threw it away. Bad Blake was a big country star whose life seems ripped from the lyrics of a hurtin' Hank Williams song. On the road, he's so lonely he could die, so he fills his time with groupies, women who follow him back to his seedy hotel room remembering the star he once was and not the sweaty, drunk wreck he has become. His downward spiral is slowed when he meets Gene Craddock, played by Maggie Gyllenhaal, a journalist and single mother who becomes his anchor. Crazy Heart is a fictional music biography buoyed by a great central performance. We've seen stories like this before, but Jeff Bridges' performance and the film's details make this a big recommend. I asked Scott Cooper, the director, what makes Bridges such a great film actor. One, he's gifted, but two, he's truthful. And there's a difference between being still and just being truthful. And uh, as I said last night, and Jeff subscribes to this theory as well, uh, Robert Duvall, and the great actors do this, uh, is, he's given me direction before as an actor and as a, and as a director, start at zero and end at zero. Have no idea where the scene's going to take you because if you have it pre-planned, then you aren't open to accidents or surprises and you aren't really living in the moment. And that's what you and I are doing. I mean, it's very, very simple acting. It's talking and listening. And too many times, actors don't listen. They're waiting for their cue and they want to deliver a line a certain way as opposed to just listening and reacting and being truthful. And, and people overcomplicate it sometimes. As a general rule, most movies about fictional musicians get the most basic thing wrong, the music. Forgettable songs have ruined many a music movie, but Crazy Heart and composers T-Bone Burnett and Stephen Bruton, who died of cancer before the film was released, nail an authentic country sound. The songs sound grand old Opry ready and once filtered through Bridges' weathered vocal cords could be echoes of any small town honky-tonk or dive bar. It's hurtin' music and it is spot on. Beyond the music, there are the small details that add so much to the film. There are the accurate portrayals of small town bars and bowling alleys and the nice shards of dialogue like Bad's flirty remark to Gene as they do an interview in a dingy motel room. I want to talk about how bad you make this room look, he says. I asked Scott Cooper about that line. In just 12 words, he tells us about bad, everything we need to know, how he is a charmer with a unique way of playing with words. Here's what Cooper said. A man who, uh, who is irascibly charming and who is able to express himself in ways that people can't and in that kind of poetic lyricism that he does there. But he also genuinely means it because he hasn't had a woman like this in his life in a long time. She's young, she's vital, she cares about him. She falls in love with his honesty. And the same with him. He falls in love with her honesty. Um, and also, it's a sign of a master craftsman at work. A man who can write a line like, I used to be somebody and now I'm somebody else, or sometimes fall and feels like flying, or uh, pick up your crazy heart and give it one more try all of those songs and the lyrics that come from those songs. And that line to me seemed like something that George Jones might write or, uh, or, or Waylon, certainly. And uh, it felt very appropriate. And I have them sprinkled throughout the film and I hope they come across as organic. 
All that helps elevate the predictable-ish story, but none of it would matter a whit if Jeff Bridges wasn't firmly in control. His bad Blake is pure outlaw country, a hard-drinking and cigarette-smoking poet who breathes the same air as Waylon Jennings and Merrill Haggart. Bridges throws his vanity out the window, allowing his gut to peek out from behind his guitar and wrinkles to peer out from the sides of his aviators. More than that, however, he nails the troubled charm that made Bad a star and then brought him to his knees. It's complex work, but Bridges, with his smooth, relaxed way with the character, makes it look easy. Don't be fooled, this is the work of a master who is often underrated. We'll wrap things up with a superhero movie of sorts. In Defender, Woody Harrelson plays a man whose rich inner life spills out into his real life. By day, he is dead-end job Arthur, but by night, he is Defender, a masked superhero do-gooder. His task? To clean up the streets of Hamilton, Ontario. Now, it sounds like the kind of thing we've seen before, but the Canadian actor-turned-director Peter Stebbings puts a unique spin on Arthur's story. Speaking in comic book cliches, look out termites, he says, it's squishing time. And with a duct tape D on his chest, Defendor and his homemade arsenal of weapons patrols the streets looking for crime to prevent. He's a bit delusional, but his heart is in the right place. His goal is to infiltrate the lair of Captain Industry, the crime kingpin Defendor believes to be responsible for all of Hamilton's civic woes. Gritty and funny, this is a hard one to categorize. It's not exactly a comedy, nor is it a crime drama. It's somewhere in between. And for those willing to be going along for the ride, the movie is an enjoyably genre-busting good time. Now on paper, Woody Harrelson's role looks unpromising as Defendor. He's the disillusioned man with mental issues who sinks into a fantasy world to help him deal with the pain of a troubled past. We've seen that before, but Harrelson's mix of sincerity and pathos in his reading of the character breathes life into a role that could easily have fallen into cliché. Like its main character, Defender is a bit delusional. It's a low-budget superhero flick going up against the Avengers of the world. But like its main character, I like its pluck. I asked Woody Harrelson if he thinks the movie has a message. Well, you know, I guess you could look at it as like a thing of empowerment, you know. But you could also look at it as a vigilantism, you know. So I don't know... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't, it's a message. It's just a person who's just looking at what's going on in the world and says, uh, you know, it's wrong and I want to do something about it, you know. And, um, you know, if you think about it, uh, uh, you know, he's kind of right. Even though I, I don't really believe in <laughs> vigilantism. <laughs> I think he's kind of right, you know, and 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 I like the fact that it's all him going after Captain Captain Industry, you know, because to me, I look at what's fucked up with the world is the captains of industry are greedy bastards who control the politicians, and so you know, in a way, it's kind of cool that that's who he's going after. Well, that's it for today. I hope everyone is staying home, staying safe, feeling good. Remember, we will get through this one movie at a time. I'm Richard Krause. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time.